Christ Church, New Malden, 1st of August, 2021. David Lofman speaking in the series, Hope Amid the Broken Signposts, Spirituality. A long time ago, God created everything, including a man and a woman and a garden. The man and woman, a couple, lived and worked in the garden. It was a beautiful place. And at the cool of the day, the couple put down their tools and spent time with God, the creator, their creator, and the owner of the garden. This was the best time of the day for the couple. Till one day, sin entered the garden and changed everything. As a result, the couple were turned out of the garden forever and the owner, God, stopped meeting them in the cool of the day. But God had not abandoned the couple completely. When he created them, he put inside inside them different ways they could reconnect with him. These ways might be described as longings or instincts or impulses, that they reminded the man and the woman about the garden that they'd lived in and the conversations they'd had with God. But sin wouldn't leave the man and the woman alone and it became part of their lives. In this series of sermons, We've been exploring some of the different longings and desires that God has put into each one of us with the potential of reconnecting to God. Tom Wright calls these longings signposts because they point to God. And yet they've all become corrupted by sin. So instead of clearly pointing the way to God, the signposts can lead us further and further away from him. But still God has reached out to us in his son Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit we might, we have a hope that we might return to his presence. So far in this series we've looked at our longing for justice, beauty and freedom. These signposts can be described as deep feelings, as people... uh, feelings to help us make sense of the world and give our lives meaning, value and purpose. With the help of God and through the Holy Spirit, they can help us live lives that honour and glorify God. This week, I'm going to talk about the broken signposts of our quest for spirituality. Spirituality is another signpost that points directly to God. But like the other signposts, It's broken by sin. We see evidence of spirituality everywhere we look. We find it obviously in the different established religions like Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism and Christianity. But in the last 50 or so years, there's been a growing interest in other spiritual practices that have come to be called the New Age Movement. This umbrella term covers a wide range of spiritual practices like yoga, crystals and tarot. 
Although pursuing these practices might feel satisfying and fulfilling, I think in the long run they will not lead to fulfilment and complete lives because Jesus is not at the centre of them. They can lead us into trouble. Spirituality isn't an easy word to define. Here's a secular definition. Spirituality involves the recognition of a feeling or a sense of, or belief that there is something greater than ourselves, something more to being human than sensory experience. This longing makes us feel that we are part of something greater than our physical existence. It makes us feel as if we're part of something cosmic or divine. Tom Wright gives a Christian definition of spirituality when he says it's the dangerous interface between heaven and earth. Spirituality is where the human and the divine come together. Tom Wright calls this meeting place dangerous because sin has invaded it. As a result, there are many temptations, distractions, and without guidance and direction, people can fall into terrible trouble. I'm embarrassed to say that I, I always find summer holidays a bit difficult. Even when I was a teenager. I remember when I was 14 or 15, my parents thought I was old enough to stay at home and look after my two younger sisters. When my mum and dad were at work, how wrong they were. The summer I was 14 or 15, there was a heat wave. It became really uncomfortable. We didn't want to go out and it was just too hot. One day, we invited a couple of friends round. We closed the thick curtains that sat and sat in the dark, trying to keep cool. But quickly, we became bored and listless until someone suggested we hold a seance. We all got very excited. And for the next few hours on that hot afternoon, that's what we did. Each day for about a week or so, we held one every afternoon. But it all ended after a week. At first it was exciting and I think we all enjoyed doing something our parents probably disapproved of. But one day, one of our friends started reciting a Christian prayer backwards. I was thrown, thrown through the glass of our conservatory window and ended up in our back garden and our dog ran away. That was the last time we held a seance. But actually I think for me the seance was part of a quest. I had a longing to make sense of the world. I didn't feel my parents were able to give me the answers I needed. We weren't members of a synagogue and we didn't have a wide group of family or friends but I needed some guidance and direction about my life. Maybe, I must have thought, I'd find what I was looking for here. Although I was Jewish, I didn't know the verse. I didn't know the verse in Deuteronomy 18, where it says, let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, 
interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. The seances ended in a bit of a mess, really. It's one of the biggest regrets of my life. I do think that it did lead me eventually to Jesus. But there were some hard lessons to learn and consequences that I still think I struggle with, even today. I'm telling you this story because it's a personal example of what Tom Wright writes about in his book, Broken Signposts. The seance was not an enriching experience. We weren't honouring or glorifying God through it. I abandoned seances after that experience. Just going back to that couple in the garden. When they'd been expelled from the garden, coming face to face with God seemed absolutely impossible. If anyone met God, they'd surely die. Sin had made certain of that. But the longing for God still persisted for the couple, their family, and the generations that followed them. And God waits patiently for us today to try and reconnect with him. He himself longs for us. By the time Jesus arrives at the temple in Jerusalem, sin was there too, doing its work at destroying the relationship between God and his people. It wasn't hard for Jesus to spot it. It was right before his eyes. The simple longing that people had to be with God had been distorted and lost in the huge temple organisation. It was ruled over by a small religious elite. The temple, which was a place of meeting between God and his people, was now a broken signpost. Instead of pointing to God, it was pointing to itself. That huge temple infrastructure, that, that temple's infrastructure's number one priority was its own survival at any cost. In John chapter 2, Jesus comes to the temple. He enters the court of the Gentiles. It's the only place that in the temple where Gentiles, non-Jewish worshippers, could come to pray to the Jewish God. But instead of hearing psalms and songs of praise and thanksgiving or hearing the humble and contrite prayers of people seeking forgiveness, Jesus hears instead the shouts of men as they buy and sell animals for the ritual sacrifices. And Jesus watches money being exchanged from local currencies into the temple currency. <coughs> Jesus is offended by the business taking place here. He's angry that this court has been turned into a market square. True worshippers have been ousted. They've been exploited by the temple authorities by paying the temple tax and having to change their money into the temple currency and exploited by the hard-nosed businessmen selling animals at inflated prices. They're here to make profit. And Jesus is outraged that these temple courts 
built to honour and glorify God and our Heavenly Father have been desecrated. Jesus overturns the stalls and scatters coins everywhere. He takes a whip and clears the precinct of money changers, animals and salesmen. The authorities confront him. They want to know what qualifications he has for acting this way. He says to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The temple authorities think he's talking about the temple building. But Jesus is talking about the temple of his own body. His answer tells them, the people around him and us, about his coming death at the hands of the Jewish authorities and his resurrection three days later. He's telling them and us that he is the long-awaited Messiah. In Jesus' simple reply, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days, he's telling his listeners that the temple isn't fit for purpose anymore. Jesus is telling them instead that his own body will be the new meeting place where God and people will meet each other, where creator and creature can unite face to face once more. Almost there. So how can this story of Jesus cleansing the temple help us in our spiritual quest for God? How can we use the broken signpost of spirituality to come closer to God? Well, one way is to read the passage again. Sorry, to read the passage in John chapter 2 again. Perhaps several times. Read the passage slowly and carefully as if it's the first time you've read it. Notice the details. Note the different animals named. Then read it again, reflectively, and ponder words or phrases that strike you as odd or interesting. Consider these words and how they might apply to what's going on in your life right now. Then read it prayerfully perhaps using the words you've been pondering and pray spontaneously, openly and honestly about how these words trouble you or give you pleasure. Prompted by the passage, pray prayers of praise or thanksgiving, petition or intercession or lament, and then finally read it contemptively, sorry, meditatively. Be still and restful. Sit with an open heart, ready to receive God's love and peace. If it helps, pray from Revelation, come, Lord Jesus. And if you're up to it, let's finish this sermon with another spiritual exercise. Make yourselves comfortable and try and relax. Now close your eyes and imagine the scene in John chapter 2. You're in the court of the Gentiles. Try to imagine yourself in this episode. Allow your imagination to be filled with these events. Where are you standing? And who are you exactly? 
Are you a child weaving in and out of the crowd? Or are you trying to sell doves? Or are you just an onlooker? Smell the animals cooped up in their cages. Hear the men shouting out prices for the animals. Feel the heat of the day and the anticipation of the sacrifices that are going to be made. And then see a man coming into the court. See the anger on his face. Feel the shock as the man swings a whip at the stools, chasing sheep and cattle out of the court. Hear the clatter of the coins spilling on the cobbled stone floor as Jesus pulls the stools over. Watch Jesus as he turns and makes his way towards you. For a moment, your eyes meet. How is Jesus looking at you?